0: What a great, great, great privilege it belongs to the people of God to have God's mind compressed in 66 chapters, books rather, of the Word of God. And we take a look at a portion of it, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. We conclude um, this book, um, not to imply that we worked our way through each chapter and verse, but this sermon will conclude our time in it for now. Luke chapter 24. Four verses. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were pray- continually in the temple praising God. I've chosen for our subject title for these verses, Going Back to the Father. Um, crowds have, uh, historically, and they're doing it again, gathered in Florida at Cape Canaveral to watch the launch of manned spacecraft. The lift-off of um, rockets is an awe-inspiring spectacle of gravity-defying space-age technology. I think we can all agree with that. Long before the space age, however, a small crowd gathered to watch a gravity-defying liftoff, if you will, in a small town not far from Jerusalem. It was the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. No rocket, no space capsule, no spacesuit. It wasn't the product of jet propulsion, or modern science. But a result of a miracle, a supernatural invasion in the natural. What the disciples observed was Jesus' return to heaven. Verse 50 After 40 days of presenting himself alive with many convincing and decisive proofs of his resurrection from the dead, as we know from Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it was time for Jesus to leave. His ministry on earth by his personal physical presence was at its end. As John 13, 3 anticipates and states, he had come forth from God and was going back to God. The place of departure was verse 50. Uh, It tells us Bethany small town on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. Before he parted from them, you'll see in verse 50, Jesus lifted up his hands to bless them. Now you need to understand that this gesture of uplifted hands was a common one associated with blessing in the Old Testament. The upraised hands pointed toward heaven. They pointed toward heaven because it is from heaven that our blessings come. The gesture was therefore not an empty one. When Jesus lifted up his hands pointing toward heaven, signifying that the blessings come from there, he was making a pledge that they would receive the blessings promised. The benefits of salvation. All that God is going to give to his people, the disciples first and then all the rest who would come into the family of God by faith in him. One of the blessings that the disciples would receive, as well as all believers in all time, is the Holy Spirit. For the disciples, you recall, were... Commanded by our Lord to remain in the city, that is, Jerusalem, until they would be clothed with power from on high. That's a reference, of course, to the Holy Spirit. What he says in verse 49 really is a reiteration of the pledge that the Holy Spirit would be given to them. He he made that pledge in the upper room on the eve of his death. With the blessing of the Holy Spirit, Christians are sealed. It's one of the benefits of salvation. We're sealed, that is, we're indwelt by him. It identifies us as belonging to him. It means ownership. It means security. It means authenticity. It means we'll be preserved unto eternal salvation. It's a pledge that we will receive eternal salvation and glory. We will indeed fly away because God has pledged it. And the pledge is none other than the third person, of the spirit, uh, the, Holy, uh, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Blessing comes from heaven. He's going to come and he did. And all, in fact, all our spiritual blessings are from heaven. And they're all ours in Christ." Ephesians 1:3. "There are no spiritual blessings apart from Christ. There is no forgiveness, there is no possession of the Holy Spirit. There is no eternal life. There is no inheritance with the saints in life. There is none of that apart from Jesus Christ. Now you'll notice something, verse 51. While our Lord was in the act of blessing His disciples, he parted for them from them and was carried into heaven. Luke writes about it in Acts chapter one, verse 11. Paul, quoting an early hymn of the church, First Timothy 3:16, says, "Take it up in glory." He was carried up into heaven. Heaven is where Jesus is at this very moment. He's in heaven. The disciples saw him go up. They knew he was alive. They knew he'd been resurrected. Now they saw him go back to heaven. His return or his ascension to heaven has great significance. has great significance first for Jesus. It has great significance for the saints, us. It has great significance for the world. First, you need to understand something about this. Yeah, I'm going to give you nine things. So I'm going to give them in an orderly sequence, I guess. Help us see the profundity of the ascension to Christ, his return to heaven, and what impact that has. First, for him, as I indicated. It was predicted in the Old Testament. That this event would occur. Um, In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching, as we've said before, the first Christian sermon, Acts chapter 2. The scripture indicates in the Old Testament that this would happen and shows that Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth, is the one prophesied about. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 30, Peter's preaching. And it begins, he says, and so because he was a prophet, speaking of David, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, that is the grave, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Acts chapter 16, David, uh, who's a prophet, who's the king of Israel, writing this psalm, looked ahead, he saw that it wasn't about him, but it was about the Christ, uh, that is Jesus. Then Peter says in verse 32, this Jesus got raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, the apostles as you recall. Verse 33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you both see and hear. They wonder, what was the commotion? What was going on as the Holy Spirit uh, that the ascended, exalted Christ poured out? And Peter continues, For it was not David who ascended, into heaven, but he himself. David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110 is quoted by David and he is referring not to himself, he is referring to a descendant who would sit on his throne and that descendant is none other than Jesus Christ who was resurrected and ascended. Let's finish up this portion with verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the Old Testament predicted the ascension of Jesus Christ in addition to his resurrection, also his exaltation to the right hand of God the Father. and The Holy Spirit was poured out explaining the events that occurred that Peter was preaching about that drew the massive crowd to see what was happening there in Jerusalem. Second significant thing for Jesus is it was his vindication. His ascension was his vindication. In Luke chapter 22, you know that he was uh, on trial before the Sanhedrin. Six illegal trials that our Lord endured on his way to the cross. And Luke chapter 22, verse 6 9, in response to the question from them Are you the Christ, our Messiah? They wouldn't believe it, and uh, unfolding events shows that they didn't believe it when he answered. Notice what he says, Jesus does, in verse 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, let me tell you what this is saying, but from now on. Those words uh, tell us that Jesus was looking down history's corridor. He was looking to the future and he was seeing his resurrection and he was seeing his ascension and his coronation at the right hand of the Father. That's what he's saying from now on. Now, let's think about it. what's going on here further. At that time, they were judging Jesus. In effect, they were judging themselves. They didn't know it. But his judges, the Sanhedrin, they would be judged by him. The question is when. At the great white throne judgment, those men who judged Jesus and sent him to the cross, they would be raised up to see that same Jesus whom they judged to be judged by him. Why is that? Because he's at the right hand of the power of God. Let me explain just briefly what this means. Right hand. Now, you do understand this metaphorical language. A right hand does not mean that God has a literal right hand. But we understand it because what the deal is kings place someone at their right hand to grant honor and to show that the one at his right hand participated in the king's rule. That's the idea. He's going to be at the right hand, he's going to participate in the rule of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Be at the power, the right hand of the power of God, the majesty, the glory of God. And of course, um, that would have to be the case. Jesus prayed about this. In fact, you'll recall in his high priestly prayer: this is the third. Thing that's significant in the ascension for Jesus remember he prayed in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 verse 5 he asked the father to turn him to the glory that he had with him before the world was John 17 5 the fourth thing is uh, for our Lord is this that his rule would be universal
1: think about this, the God man
0: the God man He would be at the right hand of God the Father, one of us. He became one of us. And he's at the right hand of God the Father as the God-man. He left as pure spirit, incarnated in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became the God-man, the hypostatic union that that precise moment of supernatural power uh, beyond our ability to comprehend, he became united forever to humanity, to deity and humanity in the one person of Christ. And that same Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Oh, I might add, too, that he is there in his glorified, resurrected body, and that glorified, resurrected body has the nail prints.
1: We'll see them in his hands and in his feet.
0: His rule is universal. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, we read it earlier, tells us that his rule is universal. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, uh, he too adds uh, his input to this reality. His rule is over all of the spirit forces, all the angelic beings, holy and fallen. Now, understand this. Jesus is not visible in the world today, physically. You can't see him. He is not here. He went back to heaven. But that does not mean he is not active in the world. For he is active in the world because he is ruling over the forces of the spirit world. Holy angels, they do his bidding. Unholy angels, fallen angels, demons, Satan, too, they're under his sovereign control. Satan can't do one thing that Jesus doesn't want him to do, he is far above. Keep that in mind when you think about Jesus Christ. Don't think of him as in his humiliation now because he is in his glorified situation.
1: It's a resurrected Lord.
0: The fifth thing we can say about him in his ascension, his exalted state, being back with the Father, is this. He's seated there seated there. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that. You know that in the uh, temple, the furnishings in the tabernacle prior to that there, there was no seat for the priest. Seat? God didn't provide one for them because their work wasn't done. They were doing it every day. They were going and making sacrifices every day, every day, every day. sit down? No, you can't. You stand up. You got work to do, dude. (laughs) But here came our high priest, who was also the sacrifice. He went back to heaven. He sat down, signifying that the work of redemption was completed and that it was accepted by God the Father. Think about this. Do you think he would have been back in heaven at the right hand of the Father if what he did on the cross was not accepted by God? Absolutely not. Significance. Significant for Jesus. His saving work for us. It's completed and accepted. The sixth thing. Now let's look at his significance. The significance of his ascension For us. For us. Number six. He went back to heaven, and you you know this, John 14, 3, to prepare a place for us. Prepare a place for us. He is going to come back and receive us unto himself. The seventh thing, uh, he is therefore, is to minister on our behalf. If Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he is our great high priest. He is there, uh, whatever there is a need in our life, he is able to minister grace to us. He's a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 2 tells us this. He knows what it is like to be in our situation. He knows what it's like to live down here. He knows the trials and troubles. All of that because he's been through it. He's in heaven. He is there and he's able to dispense grace to us in the time of need. That's why we're invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. He's sitting there at the right hand of the Father on the throne, sharing the throne with the Father, and he gives us what we need. How wonderful is that? The ascension of Jesus Christ and what it means for us. I really love what Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 says. Let me read it. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, get this, for us. For us. Underline that. He went back to heaven he's there in the presence of God the Father for us. He is our mediator. He is the one that stands between us and God. He is the one who is there for us. Our Redeemer is there. He is our advocate. He constantly intercedes for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We have the best defense attorney in the universe. He is there for us. Reformer Martin Luther observes, quote, For Christ to have ascended profits us nothing if he ascended for his own sake. But now our glory and joy is this, that he went there to our advantage and not to our disadvantage, end of quote. It's to our spiritual advantage that Christ is ascended to the
1: right hand of the Father.
0: Eighth. His ascension means ministry gifts for his church. We know this from Ephesians chapter four, verses seven through eleven. He ascended to captive captivity. He freed us. Spiritual gifts. Charismata, gifts which he, as the ascended Lord of the church, distributes to his church. In verses eight and eight through 10, in Ephesians chapter four, when you read that and do that at some time, you'll notice that the word "ascended" appears three times. He ascended to heaven, and from there, he distributes gifts. And in verse 11, it talks about apostles, prophets, pastor teachers, evangelists, and pastor teachers, gifted men for the church. Christ gave them. All the spiritual gifts are distributed by him from the right hand of God as he is there in heaven. Think about this. Christ saves people. He gives the gifts of faith and repentance, Acts chapter 5, verse 31. So he saves them, then he gives them a spiritual gift, and as he equips them to the preaching of the word of God, they discover their spiritual gift, and they deploy their spiritual gift to do service for the body of Christ. See what Christ
1: is doing in his church. Descended Christ.
0: So he's active. <laughs> he's involved. Unseen, but is at work. The ninth, the ninth thing we can see that Christ is doing his ascension significance for us Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, the B portion says this, and Jesus is head over all things to the church. This is a fascinating text. And Jesus is head over all things to the church. What this means is Christ rules over all things on behalf of the church. Think about that. We Sometimes in our minds, we want to confine him to the religious area, like the four walls of a building. Just my personal Savior. He is our Savior, but he's more than that. He just doesn't rule over the body of Christ. He rules over the whole world. That needs to be understood. Don't tame him. Trying to domesticate him like, well, Jesus is just good for this little thing here. No, no, no. He rules the entire globe. Remember what he said when he rose from the dead in Matthew 28. All power in heaven and earth is in where? My hands. Now, it has profound impact for us as believers. Knowing that he is head over all things to the church. Richard Phillips, pastor, pens these words. Listen, therefore, what aid could we need that is beyond his ability to give? What obstacle is so great that he cannot remove it? What calling have we received that he cannot supply power to fulfill? I don't think anybody can say, well, there's something. No. He rules over all things for the church. Whatever Christ intends for the church to do, whatever he intends for us to do, the body of Christ, it can be done. If it's his will, we trust him because we know he's in charge.
1: Think about that. Meditate on that. When you pray, think about who he is
0: and what he has accomplished. Well, we've seen the return to heaven. Let's look at the response. The disciples are there. Verse 52, they were worshiping him. Worship is reserved for God alone. They, they understood. I mean, they had been with him post-resurrection 40 days. And they, he had taught them. They were utterly convinced that indeed he was raised from the dead. They understood the scriptures. Because he taught them, illumined their mind, they grasped it. They understood that he was the divine Messiah. They understood that he is the son of God. They worshiped him. And then they returned to Jerusalem as he commanded them, as we saw, but with great joy. I'm going to tell you where great joy comes from. Truth. Eternal truth. These men had eternal truth. It was in their minds. They had experienced this wonderful reality and watched Jesus go up to heaven. A cloud received him. Acts chapter 1 tells us out of their sight and so they had great joy. Further, he told them about the blessings that were coming. It's joy producing things. Uh, Let me tell you something you want some joy? Get in this book and behold him. Prayerfully pray and say, show me wonderful things out of your law, out of your word. Experience joy. Joy that isn't dependent upon a circumstance, but on the revelation that comes as it's illuminated to your mind and heart as you study, meditate on his word. They had great joy. Verse 53, and it says, they were continually in the temple praising God. They were praising him or blessing God for the eternal blessings in Jesus. Couldn't help themselves. Wow, how wonderful is that in the temple? Luke's book here, by the way, uh, in the earlier portions, Simeon, Anna, they were in the temple and they saw Jesus. (laughs) And here in the temple, these disciples, the conclusion of his earthly ministry, they are praising God. You say, well... What else is there? Yes, there's something else. Let me conclude with this. Jesus' ascension foreshadows our own ascension. Yes, it does. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself we dis- will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we shall be with the Lord. Always will be with him. Caught up. (laughs) That's our ascension. If you're dead, you're going to be raised and ascended. If you're alive, when it happens, you're going to ascend We'll be with the Lord
1: always. So
0: now we know what going back to the Father for Jesus meant for him and what it means for us and even what it means for the world. Let's bow together and pray. We thank you, our Father, for the word of the living God. We thank you for these significant truths uh, that are found in your word, for our edification, for our joy, for our delight in Christ. Help us as we ponder them further um, this day and succeeding days to find great, great encouragement. Deepen our grasp of them and the person and work of Christ. Lord, help us to love him more and serve him with greater zeal. Thank you for the ministration of your truths this day, for the sake of your people's growth, for a greater sight of your glory. In these things I pray in the name of Christ, amen.